Hey, this is Rich Wilkerson. I'm the pastor of VU Church in Miami, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Reach for your Bible today. If you got a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter nine, Mark chapter nine. As you're turning there, I'm just, I'm so excited about what God is doing in our church. Last Sunday was Easter Sunday. How special was that at VU Church? I mean, just so cool, uh, not just for our church, but really the global church to see all of the great testimonies of God moving, really the first Easter Sunday back in person since the pandemic. And how many of you know, like God, he just, he showed up last week. Would you believe it? 101 people gave their life to Jesus last week at VU Church. Oh, I think we do a little bit better than that. Come on, somebody in the chat right now. Can you just give Jesus praise right now? 101 people one week ago crossed over the line into eternity to say, I'm following Jesus. It's something to thank God about. It's something to praise God about. And as you can even tell from my voice, I'm still kind of in the aftermath. I'm still in the residue of a move of God. And uh, I'm just, I'm grateful. Thank you so much for everybody who uh, is helping make this miracle in motion happen. And we're just grateful for you. And I say all that to say that our church, it's not made up of the gifts of a couple people, but it's really built on the sacrifice of so many people who tirelessly and sacrificially give and serve and people who are generous with their finances. We're, we're standing in a building that we were able to purchase uh, because people have been generous for five years, but also people are generous with the way that they serve in our church. And I just wanna encourage you, even if you're just part of church online, uh, today is a good day to go to the growth track. Growth track step two is happening today. And whether you're in person or online, this is the front door into our community. And uh, I was talking to someone the other night in crew and they've been in our crew, but they, they didn't realize that you can start growth track any Sunday. Like whether it's step one, step two, step three, step four, even though it's step two, maybe you've never went to step one, you could start at step two today. Make that your first step. It's just four steps. It's really our discipleship process. It's how we assimilate people and get them into what we call VU Church, encountering God, establishing our faith, being equipped to be empowered to make a difference. And we want you to be a part of it. Today is a great day where we talk about establishing doctrine and things that we believe. And I think so often people get things out of order. They go, I gotta work on right living, right living, right living. The only way you will ever live right is if you believe right. And so right living comes from right believing. And that's what today's Growth Track is all about. And once again, if you're at your house right now, you can go to Growth Track, go to vuchurch.com slash online. They will tell you all the times that it's streaming live today that you can be a part of Growth Track Step 2. Well, we are continuing our study in the Gospel of Mark. And today we're not in a collection, we're just in the book of Mark. And uh, I have a message on my heart that I think is gonna encourage some people. And so even right now, it's, it's, there's still time. Text someone right now, say, turn on VU Church, put it on the YouTube channel right now. I'm just, we're just starting. If you're just tuning in right now, you haven't missed anything yet. We're just getting to the good part right now. And, and Mark chapter nine is where I want to turn your attention. I wanna read uh, six verses. And I, I, wanna, I wanna break it down and uh, hopefully you walk out today seeing Jesus in a new light and hopefully you walk out um, catching a deeper revelation of who he is. Chapter nine, verse two, it says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them his clothes became dazzling white, 
whiter than anyone in the world could bleach. I always love the detail that Mark's gospel gives us. Whiter than anyone in the world could bleach. So I don't know who your dry cleaner is. I don't know what type of laundry detergent your mom uses. Anyone in the world could not make it this white. Verse four, and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Verse six, best part, he did not know what to say. They were so frightened. But verse seven says, then a cloud appeared and enveloped them. And a voice came from the cloud, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. Verse eight, suddenly, everyone say suddenly. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. I think that's, I think that's a great line, just no one else except Jesus. I wanna take a few moments today on this Sunday and I wanna preach from this subject, highs and lows, highs and lows. And would you just pray with me one more time? Let's just ask God to, to speak to us through His Word. Lord, we thank You for Your written Word. We know it's alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Pray that right now, Lord, people listening to the sound of my voice, I pray, God, that they would lean in to what it is that Your Word is saying to us today. Lord, change us today. Transform us today. We wanna look more like Jesus, talk more like Jesus, and think more like Jesus, and act more like Jesus. Help us to get a real glimpse of who He is today. Pray You'd speak to us now, and in Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen. <clears throat> you know, in my house, uh, we play this little game around our dinner table. Maybe you've played it before, and the game is called high-low. Have you ever played this before? Uh, we'll sit around the dinner table and to kind of have a good, you know, dinner conversation or a table topic, we'll just go around the table and say, you know, what was your high of the day? And what was your low of the day? And it's always funny to hear the answers, you know, most of the time, you know, the high could be something, you know, like, oh man, I really enjoyed having breakfast as a family, or maybe I was at work today and somebody said something nice. And then the lows, you know, it depends on what kind of a day it is, but hopefully, you know, they're not too low. Sometimes it's like, oh man, you know, Uber Eats was slow today. Come on. These are called first world problems. Um, but, but sometimes, uh, depending on the season, the low can be much lower. You know, C.S. Lewis, he, uh, in his book, Screwtape Letters, he coined this phrase that life is about peaks and troughs. And he's really speaking about this subject matter that if you're living, you're gonna go through high moments and you're gonna go through low moments. There's gonna be great victories and there's gonna be major defeats. There's gonna be major failures. There's gonna be these moments that you have a high moment and a low moment. And the low moments that I'm talking about today is not, was your Uber Eats slow or did you have to wait too long for the Uber line? Um, I'm wondering today who, who's watching, who's, who's facing real disappointment, real pain, real discouragement, real confusion, real hurt, real, real wondering, uh, when is my purpose going to pick up? When am I going to actually discover why on earth I'm here? Disappointment happens for a whole lot of different reasons. Yet I think the most basic way that we could define how a disappointment takes place is disappointment is birth from unmet expectations. 
You know, even as silly as it is, when you sit around the dinner table, you do high, low, every low that ever comes up is typically the reason that something took place in your life that you weren't expecting to happen or that you didn't want to happen. I saw a meme not too long ago and it was a picture of a heart monitor and it said, uh, life is all about ups and downs unless you're dead. (laughs) It just reinforced this idea that just because you're facing a disappointment today doesn't mean that you have to live defeated. Just because you're facing a disappointment today doesn't have to let you believe that your whole entire destiny is delayed and will never, ever be reached. No, life is going to have highs and lows, peaks and troughs. I wonder right now, as you're watching or you're here at our Somi location, I wonder what types of disappointments are going on in your life. Disappointments happen in all types of shapes and sizes. I think many times the most common disappointments is that we can get disappointed with one another. How many know you can't control people? <laughs> Let me just preach to all the married people right now. Some of y'all been married for 20 years, still trying to change the other person. You can't do it. But nonetheless, we get disappointed and hurt because somebody does something we didn't want them to do. Maybe it's not some other person you're disappointed. Maybe it's, maybe it's yourself. This is something that I struggle with in quite a massive way is that usually most of my disappointments aren't because of other people. Most of my disappointments in life are because of me. I tend to disappoint myself more than anybody else disappoints me. I, I tend to not live up to my own expectations, to my own standards, to my own values. And I find myself often beating myself up or talking down to myself. And I can find myself at times living in a cloud of disappointment that has nothing to do with anybody else. It has everything to do with the way that I look at myself. Maybe it's not other people. Maybe it's not you. This is one that I don't think we talk nearly enough about at church, but maybe today you're watching and your disappointment is that you're disappointed with God. I was talking to a friend this past week and the story went that he was taking a big risk. He was starting a business and he really felt, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. He really felt like he was taking a faith step and he was honoring God as he was starting this business. And he invested a whole lot of money into it, really believed in it. And as he stepped out onto what he thought was the water, rather than actually walking on water, the whole business sank and he found himself disappointed, not necessarily with himself or other people. He was actually disappointed with God. And because of it, he's, put God at arm's length. He's not in church. He's, he's drifting, if you will, all because of an unmet expectation. Today, I want to try to lean into Mark chapter 9, which is a brilliant piece of scripture that I love that stands out in Mark's gospel. And it's really a turning point in Mark's gospel. It really now is the announcement that Jesus is more than a man. Jesus is God but I want to try to use it today to encourage you because here's what I've learned about unmet expectations. Unmet expectations are opportunities for divine revelations. This is just the truth. When you find yourself disappointed in life, when you find yourself coming up short in life, you can either complain about it or you can choose to learn from it. It was Bill Gates who said success is a lousy teacher. Meaning that when I find myself on a mountaintop or when I find myself in victory or when I find myself having success, I don't learn very much in that moment. 
Instead, it's when I'm disappointed. It's when I'm defeated. It's when I find myself deep down in the dirt with my expectations not being met that I can actually lift my head up and I can start to look around the surroundings and discover where the mistakes took place. I can discover where are the the gaps. I can discover how on earth can I get better? How can I grow? Don't complain about it. Choose to learn from it. And whenever you have an unmet expectation, you always have an opportunity for a divine revelation. You're going to learn something new about God, not on the mountaintop. More often than not, you're going to learn about God in the valley. The valley is where your faith is developed. The valley is where your faith grows. The valley is where you get spiritually strong. Think about a gym. The valley is a spiritual gym where you are working out your faith muscles. And for us today who are watching, who are going through a valley, may I remind you that you serve the God, not just of the mountaintop, but you serve the God of the valley as well. And he doesn't just teach you in the highs, he also teaches you in the lows. I believe Mark chapter nine in so many ways showcases this, this truth. Mark nine, it says that um, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John to a high place, to a high mountain. Now, it's important that we, we take a moment and we recognize why he's saying this idea of, of, of six days because what was taking place for six days. Well, in order to discover that, you have to go earlier in the chapter. And in Mark chapter nine, earlier in the text, this is the moment that Jesus predicts that he is going to suffer and die. Now, last weekend was Easter. And of course, we preached about the cross and we preached about the blood of Jesus and the resurrection of Christ. But you just got to pretend for a moment that the disciples don't know all of that's going to happen. And they've been giving their life following Jesus. They've been expecting that Jesus is going to come and really be the Messiah, which was going to be a political takeover. They thought they were following the new king of Jerusalem. And so they're giving their life to him. They've, they've thrown away their nets. They've gotten rid of their businesses. They said, yo, I'm not living for a career. I'm living for a calling. Wherever you go, I will go. And now Jesus is teaching them one day in Mark chapter 9. He's like, hey, listen, I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to be brutally murdered. I'm going to die on a cross. And then one day I will resurrect. In fact, as you read the story, Peter gets so frustrated with Jesus that he rebukes Jesus. So I just, I want to try to set up for six days what the tone, what the mood, what the feeling of the disciples is. It is a feeling of disappointment. It's a feeling of, wait a minute, this is not what I signed up for. My expectation was that we were going to rule and reign. My expectation that I would sit at your left, he would sit at your right, that we would be your tribe, we'd be your crew, and that we would establish your kingdom on the earth, and it would be a political takeover, and we would finally be in power. What do you mean that you're going to die and suffer? That is not what I'm up for. And so they're following him for six days, and if anything, you could say that they are in a deep low. But the scripture says it's from this low place of their mood and their emotions and their feelings that Jesus leads them up to a high place. Most theologians believe this place that Jesus is taking them to is Mount Hermon, which is the highest mountain in all of Israel. And as they make their way up to this high place, 
Jesus doesn't take all of the disciples. Instead, it specifically says that he takes Peter, James, and John. So much that you can learn from just watching the life of Jesus because everything about his life, his rhythm is so different. I mean, Jesus in many ways gave him his life to, to public ministry that he would preach in front of crowds and do miracles. And he was with thousands of people. But what do we watch? We watch Jesus do something publicly, but then he gets away constantly into solitude, into the wilderness, into a secret place. Why? Because your public life cannot keep up with an empty private life. And so if my private life is not being filled up, then I have nothing to pour out. And so Jesus models this. He goes out in front of the crowds, but he pours out from his secret place, from his wilderness spot, from this place of privacy that he has spent with the Father. But it's not just that he gives himself to the crowd and to privacy. He also then gives himself to 12 men, 12 disciples that go with him everywhere that he goes. These are his apprentices. These are men that he's teaching everything that he knows. He's sharing secrets of the kingdom. He's sharing the insights to his parables. But then out of these 12, I love this, he's got his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Meaning that even in the 12, there was still a deeper relationship. There was still even a smaller circle. There was an affinity that he had for these three men. It reminds me of our, our, our cruise. And the way that we do cruise here at church is that we meet every the week. This month, right now, we're on an off month. We're resting as a church from gathering. And we're just taking time to get alone and being rested so that we can come back together into our VU cruise. But even in VU cruise, sometimes I'll meet people and people be like, oh my goodness, I just, I, I, Vu Cruz, it's a cool model, but like, you know, I'm much more into like quality, not quantity. Like some of the crews are like, you know, 15 to 20 people. That's like too big for me. It always kind of makes me laugh because the reality of it is that it's not too big. The reality of it is that if you'll give yourself to the habit of crew, even if it's 15 or 20 people, there's an hour and a half of a program that you walk through as a value system and as a habit and as a practice. But what always takes place when you actually give yourself to a crew is you will always find two or three people that you connect on a deeper level with that start to know you and you start to know them. Let me just say it this way. If you're going to survive, if you're going to walk out your calling, if you're going to be a person of purpose, if you're going to find yourselves overcoming the low moments in life and continuing to move forward into the high moments, you're going to need people who know you and people that you know, people that you can trust and people that trust you. I, I, just, I just see this, like, honestly, like, the more and more Jesus' public life gets bigger, the more and more he takes time with his inner circle. Like this is the pinnacle of Jesus' ministry. Like he has been healing people. People are starting to know him. Every city he goes to, crowds are showing up. Imagine if there was social media back then, they would have all been talking about Jesus. And what does Jesus do? As Jesus' public life gets bigger, he has to make sure that he's got an inner circle. Why? Because as your world gets bigger, often your circle has to get smaller. Scripture says in Proverbs that the world of the generous gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I don't know you, I want to live, I want to live in a big world. 
I want my kids to grow up in a big world. This is one of the reasons why I love church so much because church, it gives you a glimpse of a bigger world. It reminds you that you're not just a part of this local thing, you're a part of this global thing. It's not just about what we're doing here in Miami, it's about what's happening in Dade County and Broward County, what's happening in Palm Beach, what's happening all over the world. We are a part of the church of Jesus Christ. It's a big world. But as this big world puts a demand on you and as this big world starts to use you, you better make sure that your, smir- your circle is getting smaller, that there's more people that know exactly what's going on in your life that trust you and you trust them. And for Jesus, he's just modeling this. He doesn't necessarily get up and teach this with three points. He just lives this. And this is what Mark's gospel is about. It's about watching Jesus and how he lives. Here he is at the height of his public ministry and he's taking time. He's just told his disciples some really disappointing news. I'm gonna suffer, I'm gonna die. I know that's not what you expected, but I'm about to reveal something about myself to you. Unmet expectations often give birth to divine revelations. So you, Peter, James, and John, you you come with me. I'm taking you to the highest point in Jerusalem, taking you up to the top of Mount Hermon. And the scripture says that when he gets up to the top of Mount Hermon, this is just beautiful. This is Mark chapter nine. The scripture says that Jesus, he transfigures. Now this is the only time in Mark's gospel that Jesus Christ reveals his divine glory. Meaning for a moment, it's like he takes off the cloak of his humanity And he lets them see with their physical eyes the glory, the splendor, the majesty, and the wonder of who he is. That he's not just Messiah, he is also God in the flesh. He's God in the flesh. And the scripture says that everything about him becomes white. I mean, you heard Mark. Mark says it's so white. It's whiter than than your mom could have ever bleached your shirt. Like it's whiter than your dry cleaners could have ever. It's that white. It, it's, it's, it is so white. It's heavenly white. This transfiguration is where we get this idea of a metamorphosis. And we know what a metamorphosis, if you can go back to your physical science class as a kid, when you learned about the, the, the idea of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, that the caterpillar is hanging around in the dirt and the pad- caterpillar then goes into a cocoon. Then after some, t- some time, this caterpillar who was only on the ground now goes in this cocoon. And now this caterpillar becomes a beautiful, gorgeous, colorful butterfly that can fly. This is the same process, this transfiguration. We can totally, Jesus is seen for the first time in his glory, in his wonder, in his majesty. The word glory is something that you must learn if you're gonna follow Jesus. Glory speaks about the weight of God, the the heaviness of his presence. It's it's the value that, that God is bigger than us. And when he shows up, there is a sense of his weight, his glory and wonder. And Peter, James, and John, they just went from this disappointing, hard, low moment. And now they're finally having a revelation that Jesus, although he said he was going to suffer, he is also God and he's glorious and he's wonderful and he's majestic and they're seen for the first time exactly who he is. I love Peter because Peter's right there and Peter is like me and he's probably a whole lot more like a lot of you out there. Peter is like, whoa, 
whoa, what is going on? Because the scripture says that his clothes, they, 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 they shine so white. They're so bright that it's, it's literally like whiter than any bleed. Like the detail, just see this. This is supernatural. And it doesn't stop there. The scripture says that Elijah and Moses show up. What? Elijah and Moses are probably like the two biggest legends in the Old Testament. Like these guys are epic and they're having a conversation what? Like, I don't know. What are they saying? Yeah. What up, Mo? How you doing, Ja? You know, that Ja's short for Elijah, you know, like I want to be a fly on the wall of that convo. What are we talking about? But here's Peter. He's just like me. He's like, yo, whoa. He goes, Rabbi, this is good that we're here. <laughs> Peter, Peter is like, Y'all, y'all have that friend who always puts their foot in their mouth, you know, like he just like, I, come on. He's like, he's that guy, you know, H- how long you been pregnant? I'm not pregnant. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. He's the guy who never gets the memo, right? You know, how's Sarah doing? Sarah, my wife, she left me last month. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is Peter. He's always sticking his foot in his mouth. He's always speaking at the wrong time. Literally, in just a few verses earlier in Mark chapter nine, go back and read it. When Jesus predicts his death to Peter, Peter's like, I don't like that. He rebukes Jesus. Jesus looks at Peter. You can't make this stuff up and says, get thee behind me, Satan. That is a low moment. When Jesus Christ The God-man looks at you and calls you Satan. But Peter never learns. Peter's like, whoa, we got Elijah, we got Moses, Jesus is here. He's like, this is good. This is good that we're here. And then he says, let me build three shelters for you, Jesus, so that you guys can sleep here and we can stay here. And then in parentheses, the text says, he did not know what to say for he was frightened. Which is just hilarious because... Obviously, he didn't know what to say. He was standing in awe of God. Yet Peter represents you and I. You ever notice that Christians, the moment God's glory shows up, the moment God's presence shows up, we're like, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna stay right here on this mountaintop until until Jesus returns. It's like, we wanna contain it. We wanna wanna hold it. We we wanna keep it. We We wanna do something for God. Let me build you something, God. It's like, it's like Peter is missing the moment because he's so focused on what I need to do for Jesus. Please write this down today. This might be the best revelation you get all week long. The best thing you can do for Jesus is be with Jesus. The best thing you can do for Jesus is simply be with Jesus. Jesus. No, I'm going to build a shelter. I want to stay here. I like the high place. I like the high moment. I don't know if you ever went to summer camp (laughs) as a kid. I used to go to youth camp, summer camp, and it was awesome, right? You'd go for three nights and the first night the preacher would deal with all your sin and you would cry and you would weep. And then the second night, all of a sudden he would come in and he'd preach about the power of the Holy Spirit and you would get fired up. But on that third night, it was always the same. It was always like, we don't want to go. No, I can't go back down the mountain. Back there, all my friends, they don't know Jesus like the friends here. I just want to stay here forever. And what does that preacher always say? That preacher says, no, we got to go back down the mountain. 
because we come up high to encounter him, but then we go back down low to serve him. It's here on the mountain that we meet God, but it's down there in the valley that we begin to share God with others. But too many of us, when God's glory shows up, when God begins to reveal himself to us, our automatic response is, what can I do? What do I, let's build some shelters. It's like Mary and Martha in the New Testament. Jesus shows up to their house and Mary just sits at his feet and just enjoys his presence while Martha is in the kitchen, just angry, just making up something. She's cooking something, but she's just putting some anger into it, some bitterness into it. I wish Mary would get up in here. Mary ought to be in here helping me out. And what does Jesus say? Jesus rebukes Martha. It says, Martha, what you're doing, it's meaningful, but, but Mary has chosen the better thing. Why? Because the best thing I can do for Jesus is be with Jesus. But, but, but religion wants to control moments and religion wants to capture high moments. And religion wants to package high moments and religion wants us to live in high moments. We just forget that the high moments, of course they're meaningful, but the low moments have just as much meaning because it's in the low moments that we're gonna actually get a revelation. I remember a couple years ago, remember that movie, Son of God came out? I don't know if you remember that movie. It was this huge motion picture that went everywhere and it was the story of Jesus. And so I, I took a friend of mine who was really on the fence with, um, with Jesus. I was like, let's, let's go see it, you know? And it was cool, it was a good movie. I don't, this was maybe four or five years ago. And you know, you're watching, <laughs> you're watching the life of Jesus. I mean, like Jesus is teaching, like it's, that's cool. Like it's the New Testament being lived out. I'll just never forget it because like, Literally, the movie ends, and as the credits are going, this dude in the theater jumps up. He's like, whoa, nobody leave. And he opens up a Bible, and he begins to preach a sermon. And from the sermon, he then says, who wants to give their life now to Jesus? And I remember just like kind of cringing the whole time and, and walking out. And my friend who was on the fence, he was just so freaked out from the experience. It was just such a deterrent to him. And I remember thinking, it's so interesting how believers, when God begins to move, how our knee-jerk reaction is, I need to do something. Let me build a shelter right here. Friend, we just watched a movie on the life of Jesus. His whole life, his whole being was preaching a sermon. We don't then need you to get up and give another sermon. We just watch the sermon. But we think we gotta do something and we think we have to create something. But Jesus is just saying, chill out for a moment and just be with me. I actually want you to get a revelation of who I am. Because there's gonna be more low, mo low moments. We're gonna have to walk back down this mountain. That prediction I made about me dying, that's still gonna happen. I know you're seeing me right now in all this glory, majesty, and wonder but we're gonna actually have to go back down, Peter. No, 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 let's build a shelter. Let's stay here forever. No, 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 that, that's not the plan. Please understand who I am. I, I, I know I've disappointed you. I know I have told you something that you don't want to hear, but trust my plan. I felt like telling somebody out there right now who's watching church online that all of your disappointments, they do not compare with God's plan. God still has a plan in the midst of your heartache, in the midst of your heartbreak, in the midst of your low moment, God's plan will prevail. There they are and his clothes are as 
bleached out as any bleach in the world could make it white. In fact, Matthew and, and Luke's gospel give us even more indication of what Jesus looked like. They say that his face shone like the sun. So here he is in all white, the glory of God and his face shines like the sun. Now, where else in the scriptures do we see a face glowing like the sun? Well, you got to go back to the Old Testament. You got to go back to Exodus. Remember, there's this story in Exodus where, where Moses is in the wilderness and he's leading God's people and God calls him to come up on top of Mount Sinai where he's going to give him the Ten Commandments. He's going to give him the law. And the scripture says that, that Moses, he, he asked God to show him his glory. In fact, let me just pick it up. Exodus chapter 33, verse 19. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. Show me the weight of who you are, the heaviness of who you are. I wanna see your presence. I wanna look upon your being. I wanna, I wanna see you. I want a revelation that I can actually look with my tangible eyes, my physical eyes, and I want to witness the power of who you are. Verse 19, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. The scripture says that Moses goes up on top of that mountain. He's all alone. He's gone from the people for 40 days and 40 nights. And there he's getting the 10 commandments. And as God comes to pass by, he fulfills his promise. Moses hides in the cleft of the rock and he peeks out. And when he peeks out, he doesn't see the face of God. He sees the backside of God. He just sees the back of God. And the scripture says that when Moses came down from that mountain, that his face was glowing and shining like the sun. His face was so bright that scripture is specific that they have to put a shawl over Moses' face. Why? Because he had just gotten in God's presence. He had just gotten in God's glory. Here is the big difference between Exodus 33 and Mark chapter nine. In Exodus 33, Moses was reflecting the light. In Mark chapter nine, Jesus is the light. Come on, somebody. This is good news. Jesus is the source of light. Isn't it Jesus who said, I am the light of the world? Do you know that all color is a result of light? Meaning all of the color that you look at in the world, everything that you see, all of your favorite colors, it is all derived from light. Meaning without Jesus, there is no color in this world. But he is not a reflection of the light. He is the very source. The glory of God radiates from his being. He is the manifestation of God's glory. Come on, somebody give him praise. I just love this idea that Moses, he had just been in God's presence. He hadn't done much. He was just up there and all he saw was the backside. And just from seeing the backside, his face is now shining so bright that as he comes down from that mountain, everybody can tell, yo, who did you just encounter up there? 
I remember when I was about 13 years of age, I was visiting my friends, my cousins in Sacramento, California. And back then I was snowboarding a lot, living in the Pacific Northwest. And I was going with my cousin, Chad, up to Big Bear Mountain outside of Sacramento. And it was sunny and beautiful that day. And my uncle and my aunt said, Rich, make sure you put on some sunblock. I said, no, I'll be good. I don't need to wear sunblock. I'm on the mountain. Why would I need sunblock on the mountain? It's snowing outside. I didn't understand the type of sun in California and how it reflects off the mountain. I came down from that mountain that day, my face was beet red. In fact, the next day I woke up, I had blisters from the sunburn. Everywhere I went, I had enough courage back then as a little boy. I went to the mall the next day with blisters all over my face. I remember walking into stores, people like, what happened to you? I'd be like, what you mean, man? <laughs> Which is so messed up because they, they knew something had happened. They say, what happened to you? Everywhere I went, the, the, there, there wasn't a question about whether or not I had been in the sun. It was evident that I had a sunburn. Couldn't hide the sunburn. Didn't have to tell anybody I have a sunburn. Didn't have to announce that I have a sunburn. Everywhere I walked, it was noticeable that I had a sunburn. Can I encourage some people today that you need a sunburn? Not S-U-N, but S-O-N. That when you get into the presence of Jesus, it ought to be noticeable. It ought to be evident. You ought to walk around and people ought to take note. Something's different about that person. Something sticks out about that person. You look different. Why? Because you have witnessed the glory, the splendor, the majesty of God. I wonder, is there anybody out there today who's been sunburned? I've been sunburned. I've witnessed his power. It is evident, come on, that you have been in God's presence. The best thing you can do for Jesus is just be with Jesus. Just be with him. Scripture says that Moses and Elijah are there talking to him, which is just, whoa, this is like just epic. But it's all a part of the revealing process that out of this disappointment, God is revealing something about his nature and his character. Of course, Elijah represents the prophets and Moses, of course, represents the law, but put that to the side for a moment and just consider these men as men because that's simply what they are. They are just men. James tells us that Elijah is a man just like you and me. Jesus is the divine being. Moses and Elijah were just great men that God used. I mean, Elijah, like, this man knows something about highs and lows. I mean, dude, this guy had epic highs. I mean, my favorite Old Testament story is the story of Elijah up on top of Mount Carmel on a mountain, and he defeats 800 prophets of Baal by calling fire down from heaven. I mean, this is awesome. This is epic. But just a few verses later, we see this courageous, epic, awesome prophet who had this high moment being used by God. And now we see him in the most, the lowest moment. He's actually asking God to take his life. He, he goes from being the courageous prophet to becoming the suicidal prophet. Talk about a low moment. What I love about God is that in Elijah's lowest moment, God shows up for Elijah. God reveals something about his nature and character. Remember, he says, uh, go outside and when he goes outside, there's fire and then there's wind. But 
but God's not in the fire and the wind, but instead God is in the still small voice. He was trying to reveal to Elijah way back then that even in your deepest disappointments, even in your greatest discouragement, when you feel far from me, I want you to know I am so close to you that you can hear me whisper in your ear. I mean, he knows about highs and lows, but, but also Moses, right? Moses, this guy knows all about highs and lows. Moses is the great leader of the Old Testament. He is the deliverer of God's people. Moses had some awesome, amazing moments, but he also had some deep, deep disappointments and deep, deep failures. Moses was, was a Hebrew boy who was raised in the Egyptian palace. One day as Moses is on his walk, he sees Egyptian men abusing a Hebrew man and Moses, his anger comes upon him. And so he murders an Egyptian man. Because he murdered this man, he, he's forced to, to leave Egypt and he goes to the wilderness where he's wandering and where he becomes a shepherd and decades go by, but God didn't forget about Moses. Instead, he comes to Moses and appears to him in a burning bush. He says, I got a plan for you. I got a purpose for you. You're gonna set my people free. Moses has all these limitations and all these problems. He's like, I can't be used. And God says, go, obey me. Don't worry about the outcome. Just focus on the obedience. Scripture says that Moses obeys and he goes, I told you some of the story last week, he goes to Egypt and he sets the people free. And it's this awesome moment. I mean, he parts the Red Sea, this huge miracle of God. They, they walk through the other side. Moses is promised to enter into the promised land that God had designated a land for his people. But on the journey, the people, they, they disobey and they don't believe God's promises. And so God says, all right, the consequence is you will never enter the promised land. Moses, that same anger problem, it followed in most of his life. You know, that time when he went up on Mount Sinai and he got the 10 commandments when he came down after 40 days and for 40 nights, all the people were worshiping a golden calf. This man got so angry that he broke the 10 commandments. This anger was always following him to the point that it actually cost him his promise. One time God said to Moses, he said, I want you to speak to the rock. And when you speak to the rock, I will let water come out of the rock. But Moses didn't feel like obeying God that day. And out of his anger and frustration, because they were so thirsty, he struck the rock like he had before and water came forth. God still provided the water, but God said, because of your disobedience, you will never ever enter the promised land either. Talk about a disappointment. Years and years of wandering, never ever getting your promise. It's amazing because uh, Elijah, this man who had highs and lows, maybe the greatest high of his life is that he's the only man in the Bible who never died. There's another man that we don't know all the way of its clarity, but a man by the name of Enoch. Scripture says that Enoch walked with God and then was not, but we don't get a picture in the Bible of where Enoch went or what took place. Many believe that he never died either, but everyone agrees that Elijah, the great prophet of the Old Testament, the scripture says that he was carried up in a chariot of fire, meaning he never, ever died. But Moses, on the other hand, he tasted death. It wasn't until he died that Joshua was then able to lead God's people into the promised land. 
I can only imagine the disappointment that Moses died with. I thought God promised me this. I thought I was going to walk into it. I thought I would see it. I thought I would taste it. I thought I was going to feel it. I can't believe I made the mistake. I bet he was disappointed with himself. I bet he was disappointed with the people he was leading. Certainly he must have been disappointed with God at some point going, God, how on earth did you not come through on your promise? But here's what I've learned. I've learned that sometimes our plans don't work out because God has a better one. See, God is telling a story. And if there's one thing that helps me walk through the disappointments in life, it's me remembering that Jesus is not just a teacher and not just a miracle worker and not just a healer, but Jesus is God. If the transfiguration lets us in on anything, it lets us in on the fact that this God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And all of history is his story. What if I told you that God did come through on his promise to Moses? Because Mount Hermon is in the promised land. And right there in this moment in Mark chapter nine, Jesus is like, yo, I'm grace and truth in the flesh. I exist outside of time. And so, yo, Moses, why don't you come on over, man? I'm sneaking you in to that land I always promised you. Hey, and Moses, this time, um, you don't have to look at my backside. This time, you can stare right into these eyes of fire and you can know that you played a part in my story and you can know that I always had a plan and you can know that all you know, you might have died disappointed. Woo! I wasn't done telling the story. I wasn't finished yet. You got Moses and Elijah, what are they talking about? Well, Luke's gospel gives us some insight. Luke's gospel says that as they begin to talk, they start to talk to Jesus about his departure. Meaning that they're there and they're talking to Jesus and they're saying, yo, Jesus, you gotta go to Jerusalem and you're gonna die in Jerusalem. And I just imagine for a moment that both of these men play in their parts. Moses, who represents God's law, and all of a sudden, Elijah, which represents God's prophecies. We know that the law and the prophecies are summed up in one name. That name is Jesus. So I don't know exactly what they're saying, but something tells me Moses is like, yo, Jesus, now remember, remember, you got it. don't steal. Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, no, Jesus, remember, don't, don't kill anybody. <laughs> I made that mistake. <laughs> Jesus, remember, 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 honor your mother and your father. I could just see Jesus going, oh yeah, yeah. I didn't come to abolish that law. Moses, don't you worry. I will fulfill it. I won't murder, I'll let them murder me. The only thing I'm gonna steal is I'm gonna steal the keys of hell. The only thing I'm gonna pay back and the only thing that I actually came for the greatest heist of all time, which is I came to rob death hell in the grave and I came to bring life and life more abundantly back to a broken and disappointed world oh I know all about honor your mother and father it was from the cross in John's gospel that Jesus looked down at his mom and said mother that is now your son speaking to John and John that is now your mother meaning Jesus was fulfilling the law even on the cross but Elijah on the other side is like yeah but Jesus there's some prophecies you got to fulfill I mean, Jesus, come on, like, make sure, just make sure you remember, they're gonna whip you. They're gonna whip you with a cat of nine tails, 39 lashes they're gonna give you. But remember what Isaiah said some 700 years earlier, that by your stripes, everyone's gonna be healed. 
I got that, I got that. Okay, but Jesus, just, just remember, okay, that when you come into Jerusalem, make sure you, Zacharias said you, you get the colt. So, so get on the colt and, and, and ride the colt. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I got that, don't, don't worry. But Jesus, remember, they're gonna be accusing you and wanting you to say to everyone who you are. But just remember, you are like a lamb who's led to the slaughter, who does not open their mouth. Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it. For this whole book is about this Jesus. All of the law and all of the prophecies can be summed up in one name. His, his name is Jesus. And the scripture says that Peter, James, and John, they're... They're bowing down and they're frightened. But when they look up, all they see is Jesus. Elijah and Moses are gone and it's only Jesus who's standing. It's always, only, just Jesus. In your highs and in your lows, what do you need? You just need Jesus. He sums it all up. Yeah, I'm gonna fulfill that law. I'm gonna fulfill those prophecies. I'm gonna do my part. I felt like speaking to someone today, like if you'll be you, God will be God. If you'll just, if you'll just be you. Isn't it amazing how much pressure we can put on ourselves? Let me do something, just, just be with him. Enjoy him today. I don't, I don't even know what you're doing right now, but like, he's here. He's ministering to you. And the scripture says that as they're bowing down, this, this voice, oh, I got to close. <laughs> this voice from heaven speaks out. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. At the pinnacle, at the most prosperous, at the height of Jesus' career, at his peak performance, as he's transfigured on the highest point in the promised land, the voice of God. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. It's a pretty awesome moment. But I wouldn't have much encouragement if the only moment I could give you is that you would only hear from God's voice that he's pleased with you and that he loves you in your peak performance, in your peak state, in your highs, when everything's going the way you want it to go, when everything's happening the way you want it to happen. No, that's not who our God is. For this phrase that we hear in Mark chapter nine, come on, if you've been studying with us, you remember this all the way back in week one as you go back to Mark chapter one. For in Mark chapter one, at the baptism of Jesus, as Jesus comes out of the water, the same voice, it's God the Father, who's affirming and declaring who Jesus is. He says, this is my son whom I love and I am well pleased with. Yet there is a strike difference between Mount Hermon and the Jordan River. For Mount Hermon is the highest point in Jerusalem, but the Jordan River sits adjacent to the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place on earth. And in the Dead Sea, there is no life. And in the Dead Sea, nothing can grow. 
And at this moment when Jesus is baptized, friends, He has not done one miracle. He hasn't completed one task. He is simply the Son of God. What I wanna say to some people today, some people who are wondering, you know what? Maybe I've disappointed God. You know what, maybe I don't measure up. Maybe I haven't done enough for God. Maybe God's disappointed with me. I would say if you're in Christ Jesus, it is quite the contrary. Because whether you're in a high peak performance or you're in the lowest moment of your life, there is a God who does not change. There is a God who is the same yesterday, today and forever. And He says, I am always pleased with my son. And if you're in Christ Jesus, let the voice of heaven affirm over you today. This is my son whom I love and I am well pleased. He loves you. He's for you. He's pleased with you. He's pleased with you in your highs and he's pleased with you in your lows. In fact, if Elijah is any indication, it's in our low moments that he double downs on his provision. He doesn't just send ravens. He comes in the form of who he is. I don't know who I'm preaching to right now, but I just have a sense that there are people that are walking in life. And if I was to say, hey, let's play high-low, something tells me that if we got to your lows, it wouldn't be, yeah, um, I didn't get the shoes that I wanted, or yeah, um, I didn't, you know, I didn't get that new video game. Something tells me that the lows would be much deeper much bigger, much harder. But I think it's the glory of God and His big story that He's telling that gives me courage and gives me strength to not build a shelter at the church, but to walk back out and say, let's get back to work. Let's go back down the mountain and serve. Let's keep giving. Let's keep believing. Let's keep hoping. Because this God He's pleased with you. Whether you're on Mount Hermon or you're at the Jordan River. Highs and lows, your God does not change. He's not just the God of the mountain, He's the God of the valley. God the Father says, this is my son. Listen to him. There's people that are watching right now. It's like, man, if, oh, if I could just hear God's audible voice, I would do whatever he said. If God would just speak to me that clearly, I would obey him. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Because God has spoken. And God has already declared. And he's just waiting on you to obey what he's already spoken and what he's already declared. You know, if God was to speak up right now in this service audibly over my voice, over this room, do you know what God would say? Oh yeah, I want to know, Rich. This is what he would say. He would say, listen to my son. Listen to Jesus. Just listen to Jesus. I don't know what type of pain you're facing. I don't know the heartache. I don't know the disappointment. I don't know all the places that your heart is broken today. I know this, Jesus has the answers. Right, right. Today, it's Jesus who said in John chapter 16, verse 33, for every person who's in a low moment today, for every person who's wondering, where is God? I wanna let you know he is with you and he is close. For Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. For in this world, you will have trouble. Oh, but take heart. Someone say, take heart. Someone say, take heart. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Oh, he's already defeated it. Oh, he's already got it worked out. Oh, he already sees 
the end from the beginning. He already has a plan. Your disappointment can't stop him. Your pain has purpose. He has a plan for you today. Come on and give him praise. Come on and worship him. Come on, sing it out. Come on, church. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with friends. It helps so much. For more content from VU and to connect with us, go to vuchurch.com. We love you. The best is yet to come.